The Total Financial Hour is sponsored by TFS Financial Insurance Services and Total Financial Solutions, Inc. The information on this show is not intended to be the primary basis for investment decisions and should not be used to provide financial advice. Please obtain the guidance of a financial professional regarding your particular financial concerns. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. This program reflects the views of Arif Halaby, California Insurance License 0B93792 of TFS Financial Insurance Services. TFS Financial Insurance Services, California Insurance License Number 0F22477, provides retirement income strategy strategies using insurance and annuity products, which are guaranteed by the claims-paying ability of the issuing company. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy, learn from Arab Halaby. Hey, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for being Talking about your family's finances, of course, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future, kind of retiring in a way in which uh, you call normal. Because for a lot of people, retirement has changed over the years. Uh, A lot of it has to do with the words we use. You know, retirement used to mean sitting on a rocking chair, watching the sunset, just waiting to die. Uh, Today, today retirement means uh, picking up that special piece of art that you've always wanted to get back to, right? Maybe you started... Uh, a hobby that has really turned into something nice or you just have something you enjoy doing, spending time teaching, helping others, whatever it could be. The challenge is this. As we have our young people going through life, right? a lot of you are mentoring and teaching and helping young people. You might even have a propensity to assist those that one would call less fortunate. Now, I don't know who that is. I think that's one of those symbolism over substance uh, games that we play. Right when when we say we're going to give reparations or somebody is less uh, less fortunate, right, because of their race. So so do you think Kobe Bryant's kids are less fortunate because they're African American than a white kid whose you know dad and mom was a drug addict and the kid is just trying to survive and he's like, like who do who do you think's less less fortunate? Where, where does that come in? Why would you ever use something so arbitrary? as something that somebody couldn't control. I mean, you understand we've had a president that appeared to be African-American. I mean, because surprise, what, what are we thinking here, people? We had secretary of states and generals and and Supreme Court justices, right? Thurgood Marshall, hello, that's been decades. So, so I don't get this whole, we have to appoint people or put people into places as if we're trying to right a wrong and yet you're choosing the friends of friends because they happen to look a particular way. I'm going to give you a good example. The law in California now is if you have headquarters here, you're required to have females on your board of directors. Required. It's a percentage. It's a formula. Not the best people. Not the ones that you think can help your company. Because... Let's be frank about this. You understand that corporations, big corporations, their job, their job is to make money. That's their job. Their job is to survive. It's to provide a greater return to those that are the owners called the shareholders, which by the way, let's be clear here, Mr. and Mrs. Union slash pension slash government worker, right? You are a shareholder of the big company. So when they go, oh, those big evil corporations, do you understand that's partly you because your pension owns it? 
because your 401k, your 457, your retirement account at your work, your job, your city corporate government job owns these corporations. Why do you think they are fleeing the state of California? What, do, you, do you think it's because, oh, darn it, I like more humid weather with larger bugs. So, so we're going to move to the south. Oh, really? Or do, or do you think it's maybe, wait, government, Newsom, most of you state assembly, state senators, you guys have never run a business in your life. Most of you, nearly all of you, certainly at the upper echelon. In fact, recently I saw a study, 100% of those in Joe Biden's cabinet have never had a job in which they wrote or signed the front of the paycheck. Never. They've never owned a business. They've never employed people. Can you imagine? They're the ones in charge pulling us out of this recession and this inflation. They think if they change the names, if they play word games, if they play, uh, let's just change the conversation. Hi, everybody. Look over here. Shiny object. Don't look over there. Yeah, I, I know that there's homeless people everywhere, but did you hear that President Trump said this? Oh, I, I know that there's people shooting up drugs on the streets of San Francisco, but let's be fair and have drag queen, queens uh, read to our children. Yeah, the babies, you know, the, the four, five, six, seven-year-olds. You see, the sexualization of the kids, instead of that being the substance, the symbolism as they back up out of that is you just must hate those that wear women's clothes that are not born a woman. Listen, I've been around people that have done this stuff our whole life. All of us have. There were even rumors, legitimate rumors, that uh, J. Edgar Hoover, right, cross-dressed. I think it's been confirmed now. So people had known about this. People may not have wanted to be around it directly back then or and maybe even now, but it doesn't mean you hate them. So symbolism over substance. You're now required as the, the your corporate headquarters located in the state of California. So guess who's left the state of California? All state insurance. Elon Musk, right, with, with all of his corporations. Left the state. Thousands of companies and dozens of publicly traded companies have said we're not going to employ people, which if you're not sure, uh, maybe this, this can help. If you're not sure, do you understand that those that work at the corporate headquarters of any company usually make the most amount of money of any company, which means when they make the most amount of money of any company, that means they pay, guess what, the most amount of taxes of any other employee of that company. So that means the state of California is purposely pushing people out that are going to be paying a greater amount of taxes, which is going to support social security. Okay. Well, that's federal, but it's going to support state disability. Okay. That's state. It's going to support state welfare programs. It's going to support state bridges and roads and on and on as they drive their cars and they pay their gas tax and they go shopping Realizing this, somebody that makes 500000 a year probably spends more money shopping on a daily, weekly, monthly basis than somebody that makes 50000 a year. So you push out the person that's making 500000 a year, who probably has most of their clothes dry cleaned, compared to the one person who has two or three clothes a year dry cleaned. 
Now you might say, Arif, what does that mean? Well, that means the ethnic people, and yes, surprise, a lot of minorities own dry cleaners. Well, sorry, they get less business. Two dry cleaners in my area have closed business. Both of them were, were Asian, were Korean. And they both said, different people, different business owners and uh, different uh, families, in other words, we just can't make it anymore. The regulations in the state of California are driving us out. Our customer base has dropped substantially. Okay. Do we have to go on and on? Do I have to give you the individual so that you can rebut and you can go, yeah, but hear this. Let me explain. So let's go over the symbolism over substance so that you can be clear whether or not you are a racist, because that's often the undertones, right? I got a scenario for you. You might have heard this before. If you're new to the show, you'll maybe maybe you've heard it from somewhere else. I don't claim to make up a whole lot of this stuff. You know, occasionally we'll steal it. <laughs> that's what we do in radio. Two o'clock in the morning, your car broke down. You have to go off the freeway. This has happened to me, actually, where I've been forced off the freeway in a detour because they were doing some sort of construction in a neighborhood that I never knew. And it, frankly, wasn't a great neighborhood. Coming back from a concert down in Irvine, coming back up to Los Angeles, had to get off the freeway. Okay, well, that was a bit scary. Now, gratefully, my car did not break down, but let's say you were that person and you have to get to the payphone, right? This is cell phone doesn't work. You need to get over there to that gas station. You can see it 200 yards away. Your car doesn't make it. You get out of the car. You start walking. Now you have a choice, this side of the street or that side of the street. Well, on this side of the street are four male blacks. Let's see if you're a racist. And they're wearing business suits and carrying briefcases. And they're walking towards you. The other side of the street are four male whites. Tattoos on their face, chains, pants around their fanny. You know, you know who I'm talking about. Shirts that are baggy, right? I mean, the look, ooh, the look, ooh. What side of the street are you going to walk on? To a person, you're going to say the side of the street with the four male blacks wearing business suits. Why? Because it doesn't matter who they are. They're wearing business suits. And it doesn't matter the other side, their race. They're wearing baggy clothes with face tattoos and chains. You know what side of the street you're going to walk on. So don't let the liberals run around and call you a racist this and a racist that. You say, wait a second. The choices those people make was not their race. They didn't make the choice. Sorry. God decided. Decided my parents. Decided my siblings. God decided the race, my gender, not me. Now I get to decide. Am I going to wear a business suit and carry a briefcase? Am I going to have baggy pants and tattoo my face? Those are the choices that this government in the state and the federal doesn't seem to allow us to make. Because back to the greedy corporations, you're a greedy corporate. You want to make money for your shareholders, your owners. Yeah, the, the union guys, the business people, the corporations, Cal Sturs, Cal PERS, which is the public employee, they all own pieces of these, quote, greedy corporations. And guess what? You're one of the greedy owners because you're the owner of the, of, uh, of the 401k. You're the owner of the retirement plan, of the pension. So you are on the same page. Don't let them divide you. You want the corporations to do well. Well, surprise, that greedy corporation says, we are so sexist. Ooh, we are sexist. 
that we know that having this lady on our board who's brilliant, oh my gosh, she's brilliant, but we are going to hurt ourselves and our shareholders because that's how sexist we are. Or do you think the greedy corporations look around and say, well, uh, we want to make a lot of money, so who are the best people that can add to our board of directors? You understand where I'm going with this? If if this were the case, right, then the result would be a much greater opportunity for, quote, greedy corporations to have all of the females on their board. Symbolism over substance. Carpool lanes. Right? You guys are going to say, what is he talking about, carpool lanes? Uh, I happen to be driving on the freeway a lot lately, so so I'm going to tell you a lot of these stories. Carpool lanes. You look over. What's the purpose? What's the, quote, reality when it comes to the purpose and the reality of a carpool lane? All right. It's designed to say, hey, Joe, you are carpooling down the road, and here's what you're doing. There's a person next to you that's going just one block from you. And both of you have cars on the road at 6.30 in the morning driving to work. So instead, if you, quote, call each other, meet up with these little apps, go to these parking lots, and you guys pool your your resources, today one car can be on the road and the other one stays in the parking lot. And then tomorrow you can switch if you'd like. Instead, so that's the symbolism. People clap, politicians dig a shovel in some dirt, they cut a ribbon, yay, everybody claps, snap, snap, picture, picture. And what's the reality? A mom with three kids driving in the carpool lane. A husband and wife that are retired that are just going somewhere. They would have ridden together anyway. They're, they're not going, taking a car off the road. Well, honey, since we're retired, I want you to drive in your car and I'm driving in mine. Instead, there's just two people in the car. They drive in the carpooling. Well, Eric, it just there's so many people. Well, then why don't you be like the 14 freeway? The 14 freeway says, we know this is a bit of a joke. Listen, they do. So only in the morning... When mostly you're going to have not a mom driving along, but what are you going to have? Well, you're going to have people probably going to work, coming from the Palmdale Antelope Valley, coming through the Santa Clarita Valley into the, the San Fernando Valley, and maybe even to the West L.A. Division, West L.A. area, right? Or Hollywood. All right, fine. Get in a carpool lane. But after a certain time in the morning, I don't know, maybe 10 o'clock, whatever it is, done. Everybody can use that lane. Wouldn't that be interesting? And then in the afternoon on the other freeway, going uh, the other side of the freeway going north, it's from, I don't know exactly, 3 to 7, something like that. After 7 p.m., everybody can use it. After 3 p.m., everybody can use it, or before 3 p.m. Because it says if you're on the road, there's a pretty good chance you're probably coming from work. And that's the time of day that we kind of want to reward you anyway for teaming up with that buddy who works a block away from you. But what's the reality with the carpool lane? A pregnant lady gets in the carpool lane and goes, ha ha, the state of California says it's not a person uh, so that you can have abortion. But don't worry, it is a person when I'm in the carpool lane. Oh, wait, when there's a car accident and the pregnant lady is killed, it's double homicide. If it's, if it's uh, you know, deliberate. Manslaughter times two. In other words, do you see how the symbolism of it's a carpool lane, yay, green for the environment, clap, clap, 
and there's a mom with two kids riding in the carpool lane. You're like, oh, those kid, little kids are driving on, on this early age, huh? You guys have all heard my Prop 65 warning. Some of you don't even know. Ooh, lots of money. Politicians, yes. Shh, don't tell anybody. State politicians made a lot of money on the Prop 65 warning. There's chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer in this facility. And they put up a sign. People clap. Yay. So what happens? They just put the sign everywhere. From baby stores to restaurants to gas stations to nuclear facilities, there's a sign on the door that says, or somewhere, hey, we've warned you. Hey, man, come on now. There's chemicals known to the state of California to cause cancer. Now, you might say, well, Eric, what is this? Look, it is money that is wasted dealing with things that make zero difference. Not a little difference. Zero difference. Right? We if you want everybody to be in the carpool lane, why do you punish those that say, listen, I'm a salesman that works in my car. I actually spend more money on gas tax. I actually drive in, in a greater amount of places. I spend more money in restaurants. I don't take my lunch. I don't go to a, a, a facility, a, how, a, a building down in downtown LA. Why don't I get to use the carpool lane? There's no co-partner that's going to work down the street for me because I sell whatever, br- hairbrushes. And yet you punish that guy who spends more money on gas tax, who has a job that creates other uh, benefits for restaurants that he goes and visits, and instead you punish him for the reason of what? Well, very simple. Because he didn't buy into the green idea that symbolism over substance is what matters. So electric cars, I always thought that was fun. The reality is... They need coal and natural gas to charge. Is that not funny? Ooh, coal and natural gas. Wait, wait, back up. How do you need coal and natural gas to charge an electric vehicle when it's an electric vehicle? Wait, wait, you just said it was electric. Right, there's, a, there's a thing going on on Facebook. You might have seen it. And it says, if somebody is going to have an electric vehicle, then they should be required to only be able to charge that off of solar and wind. And instead, they take the same energy that you cannot... (laughs) Simi Valley had a wave of blackouts last week. The the entire Simi Valley. I mean, it's 100,000 plus people. And what happened? Sorry, you're going to have to shut off your air conditioning. Don't use your dishwasher. Uh, We're sorry about this. But P.S., we're going to give you extra money to buy. Yeah, It's called tax money to buy an electric car. So that in the end... Yes, you can charge it on the same electric grid that is outdated, causing forest fires and requiring us to brown out. Symbolism over substance. Now, I can go on the assault weapon story, right? That's just a game. Strip mining minerals for these batteries of electric cars. By the way, you understand that that the child labor laws, the environmental catastrophes, the damage that is happening in these third world countries is off the charts. But dang it, I've got my $100,000 electric car. And I feel good. Because when I drive down the street, they actually even let me, ready for this, go in the carpool lane. Yeah, carpool lane. <laughs> it lost all of its purpose. It means nothing, zero anymore. Not a little bit. Well, Eric, the other day I saw two businessmen and they, you know, one dropped somebody out. Great. Yeah, great. That's nice. Yeah, I can show you everything 
that works once or twice or even five or 10% of the time. Oh yes. But who's going to pay for all this craziness? Bike lanes. Well, we're going to build bike lanes everywhere. So now it's hard to park. And now the bike uh, riders, instead of them, uh, you know, ha- having an actual, their own section, I'm all right. If you say you want to build your own section, you know what you do is you go to the bike manufacturers and you say, Hey guys, here's the story. We're going to build bike lanes. They're actually, we have to buy this extra strip of land from the city, county, state, private industry. And it's going to be a road. It's going to be 15 feet wide. We're going to divide it into two sections coming and going. We'll put asphalt and, and we have the, it's, it's a whole bike lane bike manufacturers. So here's what we do. Do you want us to do that? Oh, yes. Then you guys pay for it. How hard is that? How hard is that? Right? You you already took the gasoline tax away from, ready for this, the electric car because he doesn't pay gas, but he does use the roads. He does use the bridges. And by utilizing those facilities that used to be paid for by gas tax, guess what you have to do to the other people? You have to punish them. So the only way to physically punish them and make that all work is to just kind of remind everybody that you're a better human being. You are because you drive an electric car. Now, I I think I've shared with you, my experience in an electric car is pretty stunning. Uh, I, I, I I didn't like it. I loved it, the power, the energy, the funness to drive. It was, it was kind of like being a kid again and learning to drive for the first time. It was exciting. But if you were to ask me, are you doing something good for the environment? I'd say, no, no, I'm not. Well, what about the emissions? Are you kidding me? How many of you grew up in the seventies? Stage three, smog alert, stage two, smog alert, red day. Remember the red flag days? When was the last time you even heard that in the San Fernando Valley? In other words, we fixed that problem. It's called leaded gas. Remember that? It's called catalytic converters if if it didn't get stolen. We fixed that problem, but there wasn't any power anymore. Right? In, In 1972, when Mayor Tom Bradley was running for mayor, by the year 2000, we were supposed to have a light rail system all around California. Uh, sorry, Southern California, LA. It might have been even 1980. Sorry, I think it was 1980. And Tom Bradley ran on it. Years later, after he died, a small little corner of the newspaper, little article. You can probably find it if they didn't purge it yet. And it talked about he actually took money from Goodyear and I believe it was Chevron. Shell Oil or Chevron. Goodyear Tire and, and gas companies. Tire companies, gas companies would have lost what? Had Americans or Southern Californians or L.A., Angelinos as we call us, left the car and got into a light rail. And they paid him. Why do you think he became a multimillionaire by being mayor? Right? You guys have to think through this process. You have to ask yourself, how does a congressman or woman who makes above average for sure, but spends a lot of money, how do they become wealthy? Right? How do their families that know nothing, Hunter Biden, the political world, It's these organizations that require them to convince you that symbolism over substance requires the transfer of wealth from one organization to another. I'm a consultant for the Prop 65. Yeah, yeah, I'm a consultant. My job is to review the reviewers and to make sure, yeah, yeah, pay me, pay me, pay me. 
right? The state of California keeps passing these rules where, surprise, they solidify the power of the Democrats. It's just what they do. 100% of the state Democrats that ran for re-election on the last go-around and the one before that, and I believe the one before that, 100% of them stayed in office. In other words, nobody said, oh, you're so bad, we're going to kick you out. Right? You're, you're so bad, we're just going to say, it's not worth it to keep you in office. Nobody did. Now you might say, but me and my friends did. Well, then maybe, just maybe, it's not an honest proposition. Because what's another law that just passed? Uh, ready for this? Voting by mail is here to stay. Assembly Bill 37 makes that change permanent, that voting by mail through the pandemic. Oh, it's a pandemic. We're going to send a ballot to every human being who has ever lived in the state of California. I've shared with you, I've had family members where there's two people in the house and five ballots show up. Five for two people. And nobody ordered it. It just showed up. They were going to go vote in person. And you say, well, but why? And all of a sudden you say, well, I don't, I, I don't know. Do you think somebody out there is probably, maybe, just maybe, might phony up a couple of these? Sign somebody's name and turn it in? Maybe. Hmm. All right, guys, stay with me. Triple eight ninety nine retire. Uh, by the way, after the top of the hour, I have two amazing questions for you. The, the uh, emails, powerful. One of them is extremely powerful. You need to listen to. Stay with me when we come back. Triple eight ninety nine retire. The total financial hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. We'll be right back on AM eight seventy. The answer. Thanks to Arab Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with me, guys. We're talking about your family's finances. Some of the craziness that's happening. When I say craziness, you know, we're talking about things, the symbolism over substance. It always strikes me. The amount of money they pay to look like they're actually working. Have you ever heard of this before where, I don't know, you talk to these people and you say, the, the criminals, they spend so much time being criminals crafty sneaky creating these little sneaky th you, gosh if you spent that time going back to school or perfecting a perf uh, a trade my word you probably could be pretty good at something right have you ever heard that it's what it seems like if the politicians actually spent in the state of california the amount of time trying to be good at something what if they actually just solved a problem i mean let's wait a minute Homelessness. We're going to steal the private property of these motel owners. Uh, surprise. Ready for this? Most of them are immigrants. You understand that, right? Mo most of them are second generation at the most. They came to this country. They sleep in the hotels, many of them. Right? They did at the beginning anyway.
One of my classmates, when I was a kid, parents came from Korea. They bought a little motel. She cleaned uh, the, the rooms. The son did his homework in the back manager's office. The dad checked in people. They saved up, saved up. Today, surprise, they're very, very successful. But it was a little motel and not a so great part of town. And you see that over and over and over again. Whether it's Hispanic families or Asian families. They come to this country. They buy a hotel. And the government now comes in and says, not only are we going to, yeah, we're going to pay you. We're going to pay you less than what you think you can get for it. But man, we're going to guarantee you wages. They say, well, yeah, but these people will destroy our our rooms, right? A lot of the homeless people are nutty. They're not clean people. They, they're drug addicts. And so what they're going to do is throw things around. They're going to destroy things. Wait, wait a second. My insurance premiums are going to go up. So who's going to pay for that? Oh, don't you worry, says the government, the city, county, right? These corrupt. Yeah, I say that word lightly. County supervisors. I'm shocked at the action of our L.A. County supervisors. So what do I think? Well, I think all of this is ultimately going to cost money from somebody somewhere for something. And and here's what I mean by that. You guys are the ones with the money that has to pay it back. It's not going to be. It's not going to be poor people. Right. Look at the people flooding across the border. Let's be clear on this. They're not Mexicans, all of them. They'll identify some of them as Mayans from the Yucatan. Or they're Guatemalans or or, uh, Honduras, El Salvador. These are people that are coming to the United States, not doctors, lawyers, and and, uh, nuclear scientists. These are the poorest of the poor, uneducated. Many don't even speak Spanish. They speak Mayan. That's their first language. I know you're shocked to even realize, but what does Mexico, what does Honduras and El Salvador and and Nicaragua, what do they do? They purge the poorest amongst them and they take them and they put them in the United States. So now they don't have to provide any services. And really, in reality, they never really did anyway. So they purge them and move them to the United States. It's an organized structure. Government officials and criminals are both taking a piece of this organizational structure. Then they come to the United States. Big business, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, big corporations, Chase, create these remuneration systems. What are they? They're like check cashing, except they transfer money from the United States back into these countries, oh, but for a fee. Now, the people, you and me, don't receive any tax money from this. We don't. They walk into these different Western Union type places, but I'm telling you, they're owned by B of A, Wells Fargo, Chase. These are the organizations, the big companies, the big institutions, and they take a piece of these little uh, migrant worker dollars times billions. I think it's a billion a month that's sent down to Mexico, goes down into their country, and before the families get it, because the families that, that are left behind use it to buy things and to live. And guess what? The government doesn't have to pay for these people, but they actually get a piece of the money. Is that shocking? They actually make money by getting rid of the poorest amongst them. So it's in their best interest. This is a good thing for the governments of Central and South America. This is a great thing. 
get rid of the poor we don't have to pay for, and they're going to send money back that we get to use, steal, take. Now, listen, I, I, I am, you know, one of my degrees is in Latin American history. I have a love for the Latin culture and the Hispanic world and the language that uh, I never thought I did uh, when I was young. I never thought I would, rather. So I want to be clear on a couple of things. These are some of the hardest working people. You realize that. Now, there are criminals that come across that border, no question. In fact, I think everybody that comes across the border is a criminal. Sorry, people. Some may be less criminals. Some are terrorists wanting to hurt you and me. But the Biden administration is in cahoots with the whole story. Whatever. So what do I mean by this? Well, listen, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. You go by your big box uh, home improvement center. What do you see? Asians? No. Uh, Black? American? No, no, no. Hey, hey, how about people like me? Half Lebanese, half American. Do you see them out there? White people? Nope. Who do you see working at 5 o'clock in the morning? Yep, that's right. Because the Hispanics are not lazy people, they're not. I, I don't believe so. I, I think some of them have lazy tendencies. But if you want to start generalizing people and getting women on the board and not saying quality people, if you want to make sure that uh, you know black and, and have certain jobs and Asians get certain jobs, then, then you have to look at the, the element on the street and classify them with their race. I'm playing your game. Their national origin, right? In other words, you can say a lot of decent things about the Hispanic illegal culture, and you can point out their criminality as well, because it's both, right? I just want you to be intellectually honest. And then if you are, then you have an understanding of why both big business, big corporations, the home builders, the banking system, these are the enemy of the people. These are the enemy of you and I as normal citizens. Because they're the ones that make money on remunerating these dollars back. They charge us oh, just a small fee. Just a small fee. So without any taxes, right? So you and I don't, you and I still have to pay for the roads, the bridges, the infrastructure, the homeless encampments that they're going to break down for the 15th time in the last five years. All right, we have to pay for all that. Instead of providing a guest worker program, right? You seal the border. You can do that in probably six months or less if everybody gets to work. You create a, a system in place where there's fingerprints and signatures. Now, understand, a lot of these migrants, remember how I said that they don't speak Spanish. Some of them do speak Spanish. They can't write Spanish. Right? So even if they can speak, their literacy when it comes to writing is, is nothing, reading almost nothing. Not all of them. Don't point out six people and say, aha, that guy's a, you know, a persecuted something or other. Got it. And when people tell you, oh, yeah, but they're persecuted in their country, the law is they're supposed to go to the country next door to them, not traverse three countries on this train system where all the officials and the federalities are all taking a piece of the action. Uh, look, uh, Mexico is a failed state. Certainly most of the states are. I mean, this is not a secret. So the U.S. has to be stronger. It's what you have to do. Canada loves it because the south of them, right, the, the biggest, strongest, most powerful democracy, democracy in the history of mankind is their southern border. So, of course, they can handle some migrants here and there. 
But when the federal government has already taken over hotels and motels for you and your family to travel this summer, next summer, this Christmas, and they're full of Afghan refugees, and now they're going to be filled with homeless people. Do you think they have the same hygiene? Uh, I don't mean they're bad, right? I said that you think bad. That's your problem, not mine. Do you think they have the same hygiene and understanding of keep the music down and you're not supposed to cook in the rooms uh, and, and have a hot plate in the middle of a, of a thing where I'm trying to sleep and I have to smell your food? I mean, do you think any of that is happening? In some, probably not. Who, who's going to be, right? oh, you're a racist. I told you two years, four years ago when they were doing the racist, everybody's a racist, racist, racist. They're going to take that disgusting word and they're going to diminish it. So now it's white supremacists. So Larry Elder pops his head up and says, hey, I'm going to run against this recall. Oh, the black face of white supremacy. Somebody should have been fired for that. Ran out on a rail, made, made to apologize and start sweeping the floors of the newsroom and start over again. Somebody should have, but nobody had the intellectual courage. Everybody else went, wow, I can see that. Oh, I see what they mean. Oh, I don't want to offend them. Right, offending, that's the new thing. Who do you think has to pay for all these bills when corporations are leaving the state? When when they're taking their headquarters and leaving the state? For Arizona, Nestle went to Virginia. Countless companies went to where? Texas. Florida. Disney, the biggest woke company trying to indicate or or believe or tell you that all sorts of things are you're bad and evil and they're good except what do they care about the bottom dollar i told you they are quote greedy corporation they care about making money so what did they do they said we're going to be sending our uh organization to our florida location we're going to be transferring you know a thousand people or whatever number they chose to florida the, the the state that they hate that's full of racist so wait a second, uh, Disney, did you believe it or you don't believe it? I, I don't know. Is it true or is it not true? I, just help me understand this here. Because you, you said you weren't going to do business with those people. Then why do you do business with Harvard or Yale? Right? They separate black and white graduations. That's supposed to be bad. I went to school thinking separate but equal was a lie. Right? Integration was the way. Merit was the way. So um, I think once your public entities, and listen, for those of you guys in other states and cities, you have to be very, very careful because the progressives work their way in. They do. They work their way into school board. They work their way into red states and they make people feel guilty and then they call them a, a racist you better not vote for that. You're a racist. So then the other school board members, the other city councilmen and, and water board and public entities start, well, maybe they're right. And suddenly a red state where the citizens are conservative and want public agency responsibility, suddenly they're outvoted with the three or six or nine people that are sitting on the board. You go, wait, wait, how did this happen? They don't represent our values. And it isn't just California people sneaking into their state. It isn't. Sometimes it's the, the educational institutions that convince people 
to track you by the color of your skin, by your nationality, right? Barack Obama, the first biracial president ever, not the first black president. I mean, listen, you can argue with me. I don't make the rules. This is the the liberal way of doing things. He wasn't just a president. They want to classify him in a box. Well, he's the first biracial president. Who do I think the first black president will be? Probably ready for this? Uh, The Republican Party. Because they're not the racist party. The Democrats are. They started the KKK. They... They uh, prevented us from freeing the slaves on the, as a nation, right? They ran the Democrats South with all the laws and the rules. It's forced the NRA to create it, to be created. It's to protect the gun rights of black Americans. I mean, you just got to go to Prager University, Prager U. You don't have to like everything you hear and verify. Go back and check and say, aha, I'm going to research this one. Okay, see what you can find. Dennis expects that. Prague University expects you to get out there and be independent and and a thinker. These are important things. Because every time you turn around, you start to see the state of California passing a new law and a new rule. Right? You have to be (laughs) you have to be very clear on this. They take away tools to help prevent fraud. They take away tools that help prevent riots in the street. And then the Democrats go, I'm surprised. How'd this happen? Well, I guess. Some of the laws that California has today, remember the the rubber uh, bullets? We used to use them. There were pellets, and then there were these foam, foam things. And we would use them so you didn't have to shoot anybody, you didn't have to hurt anybody. It, it basically, if you could bounce them off the concrete... You'd fire it through a shotgun. It was a colorful shotgun, like a green or an orange. They had different shotguns that had different purposes. So you didn't grab the wrong one. You would shoot it out at the crowd. It would bounce off. It would hit them, stun them, cause them to run away. Better than having to have somebody get hurt. Now that's illegal in the state of California. Sorry, law enforcement. Another tool is gone. The chokehold, another tool is gone. So... You've heard me say this before, and people get frustrated, and they say, gosh, no wonder people are leaving. Look, I think the state of California financially and otherwise has to collapse. Now, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it's just an administrative thing or not, but they have to basically cease to exist in the form that they currently are in. It cannot survive. It cannot survive financially. It cannot survive economically in any source. So what I think has to happen is they're going to have to say, we are now closed down and we're going to renegotiate all of our contracts. So if you're a state worker, city, state uh, teacher, I think it's going to be a domino effect. I think a lot of organizations will follow behind. You've heard me say this before and it's already happening. There's going to be with this recession, the way that it was created, you're going to see massive amounts of labor uh, issues, violence, striking organizations that are are being pitted against each other. So so that is the next coming months and maybe even two years or so. It's this turmoil that is going to give you a peace of mind uh, that is uh, at least long for, if not impossible to find. So I want you to think about this as the solutions. What are those solutions 
to get through this crazy time ahead. I think part of it is you have to get involved. I know you wanted to relax, but if you were a professor of something and you're conservative or you were an attorney and you, and you understand laws and you were conservative, get on your, your homeowner's board, get on the school board, run for city council. You have to get involved because conservatives are less likely to get involved. I was driving next to a Prius yesterday on the freeway. I know it was quite amusing. The amount of bumper stickers that guy had on his car, you know, Bernie this and, uh, you know, Trump is bad there and all these other liberal phrases. I pull up and it's a middle-aged white guy. He thinks he's doing something. He put it on a car. It's a Chevy Volt. I think it should have been recalled by now at least twice. But so whatever the price of the car is, the taxpayers paid for it, most likely a disproportionate amount of conservatives paid for it. Now he has this car. He peppers it with all these bumper stickers. I purposely, I was driving for quite some time. I purposely looked around to see were there any conservative bumper stickers. And in the city of LA, in the state of California, you're not going to find very many because your car would be keyed, right? Your antenna would be busted off. Your windshield wipers would be snapped in two. But this guy drove around knowing that the liberals and conservatives would do nothing to his car. Right? I'm not going to come up and key his car. I'm going to say, wow, that's just a point of view. What a dummy. Okay, next. I'm, but that's not how liberals act. They strike out. They put on their masks. They come and they, they taunt you at your restaurant. Right? I mean, you understand they do things like that because that's what they... That, that's their fear. That's the brown shirts. Look at the Nazi history. They were very good at, very, at doing very big evil. The intimidation. The Nazis were experts at this. Scaring you, shutting down your business, forcing you to leave. Surprise, that's what the liberals are doing. So you have to counter it. Does it mean that sometimes you could have some physical confrontations? Probably. I hope not. But if you're going to stand for something and the bad guys are going to try to hurt you, you have to stand up to them or you run. So I guess you just decide. Remember, they're cowardice as an individual. And you and your family have to protect yourself. I don't think these people are going to go away easy. So you have to run for these boards. You have to sit on these committees. And I get it. You're retired and you thought it was going to be about fishing all day long. I don't think so. I think at this moment in time, God has created a chance for you and your skill set and your understanding of things, right? You're an economics professor. You get it. Great. We need your knowledge. We need your experience. We need your pedigree. We need your credibility. Because the symbolism over substance is not going to go away. That's just not what they're going to do. They don't disappear. They don't... They don't say, oh, well, right? They fight, they quit their job, they, they create workers' comp claims, they, they disappear so that you are somebody who very clearly is not going to be protesting on a Tuesday afternoon because you're working. Well, that's not, that's not the same mindset they have, right? They live in their parents' garage, basement, 
play video games all day. They make five bucks here, deliver Uber, whatever they do. They make a few dollars. They claim disability work. Uh, listen, I've seen these people. I know them. It's, it's certainly, I get it. It's certainly a uh, generalization. But the jobless claims that keep going higher and higher, it's often not university professors. It's often not. They're the instigators. But we have to plan for this so that financially your food's shelter clothing, your money comes from another source so that you can get involved and make a difference and stand up. So we have some ideas for you. You've, you've heard me say on numerous times, waterboards, uh, because I think that's the new power. That's why I keep saying waterboard and school board. School board certainly is the influence in everybody's life. It's the thing that's going to make a difference on those kids. It's going to be the thing in which, believe it or not, rules and laws and power is going to come from because for a lot of people they forget that today's 17 18 year old in 10 years they're 27 well if you plan on being on this earth for 10 more years chances are pretty good you're going to deal with the impact of whatever that person's decision is so shaping the mind early is playing the long game right that long game means you don't go backwards you realize you have to have to fight the other thing I want you to do is this, get educated. I like PragerU videos, but I also like Larry Elder's videos. Dinesh D'Souza has um, 2,000 mules, right? These folks have spent the time and money to put together the research so that you can go out there and be armed, armed with the truth, armed with the facts. You can cite sources that are often, believe it or not, left-wing sources, progressive sources, we just put it together. So I like Uncle Tom. See that first. Then see Uncle Tom too. It's coming out. I'd like you to see uh, the, the Prager University videos. Will Witt, who speaks to the kids on the street. Right? Candace Owens. The reality of this race-based uh, organizations called BLM. That's how you're going to be informed. My job is to make sure your food, shelter, clothing, your money is protected. Grows without worry so that you can spend your time and not worry about losing a job, being fired, having somebody tell you, tough luck, you can't eat dinner this month. That's my job. So protect your money, grow your wealth at a reasonable rate of return. If I can help you, I'm Arif Hallaby. Stay tuned. We have a couple of great emails coming up. One specifically I think is going to shock you. 888-99-RETIRE. 888-997-3847. 888-99-RETIRE. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Thanks to Arab Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do. Arab makes your money work for you. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halaby. Learn about financial Hey, welcome back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. Second hour of the program, talking about your family's finances, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. I, I always... Uh, kind of hesitate when we have such a, 
don't want to say a downer of a first hour, but uh, I think somebody needs to tell you the truth. I think you need to realize that we're in this financial war, recession, depression, uh, I don't think is likely. But uh, look, in, in 19... Uh, 29, when, when the markets collapsed, we were kind of coming out of it in 1930, 1931. We would have been okay. But of course, Franklin Roosevelt said, I'm here to help. And as soon as the government says they're here to help, they usually mess things up, which is exactly what happened. So uh, economists and financial experts today will tell you that it was the federal government that put us pushed us into the depression, amongst some other things, some agricultural uh, missteps, right, by changing some of the ways we did farming uh, really made some big mistakes as well, which led to a food drought at the same time. I think that's kind of where we're going. Some of these mistakes now are not, quote, the farmer's fault. Right back then, they were strip mining. They were turning dust bowls uh, as a result, if you will, from, from once wonderful farmland. Well, today, I think you're going to see agricultural issues switch. But look... If they're talking about this global warming thing and climate change, here's two really big benefits that I think you need to simmer on for a minute. One of those is the growing regions are going to increase and the time for yield is going to increase. Meaning if we were going to be cold all the way down to, I don't know, make up something, Chicago. Now we can farm all the way up into Michigan, up into the middle, even to the northern parts of Minneapolis, of Minnesota and, and Wisconsin and on and on, all the way up for a little longer. Because you just told me it's going to be softer, milder winters. So that means we can grow more of our own food, maybe get a second or a third yield. This is what farmers are telling me. That we have a chance to let the, the, the uh, vegetables, the fruit, the grains sit in the ground just a little longer and get a better yield out of it, more sunshine, etc. That's important because we may have to take care of ourselves in this country compared to bringing things from other parts of the world. Second, if you're telling me that the oceans are going to rise by two inches, uh, the ice caps are melting. Okay, that's happened all, all throughout history. It's coming up, but not this bad. Oh, what? You were around during the dinosaurs. Let me see that history paper. Right? You can't say all time and yet at the same time not be able to provide because nobody's been here. Nobody was taking notes. So I don't know, is it the 1800s, 17? When, when did we have legitimate, verifiable science? Th this is a question. I don't know that answer. But I can tell you it's not the first time ever just because you just told me it's a cycle. So now the oceans rise one or two inches, two or three degrees Celsius. The world can change. And yet politicians, uh, President Obama, the biggest uh, push pusher, if you will, prior to Biden and his team, buys a house in Hawaii, right on the water, on the water. Biden, on the water, on the East Coast. So, so I don't know, maybe, you know, right, maybe that's the case, but it just seems that there's a level of hypocrisy between their private jets and then buying land and, and homes, million-dollar homes, not just a you know, tiny little vacation home, but on the water homes. So that's a problem. It's a problem in the believability world because you and I just say, eh, maybe they're just not telling the truth or they don't believe it enough to put their money where their mouth is. So if that's the case, I want you to be thinking a little bit further ahead and say, well, how do I still protect myself 
because I don't think the big changes are going to come anytime soon, but I think there's going to be some food issues. I think there's going to be some energy issues for sure. So how do we protect? Well, you have to be educated. You have to plan. And let me share with you something that I think is kind of interesting. It's going to be on an email that I have here. I think people are changing when it comes to their marriages. And I, I want you to know what I mean by that. We are seeing something called the graying of divorce. Have you heard that term before? It means that people are divorcing not at six and eight and 15 and 20 years of marriage, but they're divorcing at 30, 35, 40, 45 years plus of being married and now they're divorcing. And of course, just like there's a million couples out there that are divorcing in their, in their 70s, 60s, 70s and 80s, there's a million reasons. But there's some common denominators, and that's what I want to talk about. Then I'm going to address this letter that I think is a bit shocking. Number one, I want you to understand that if you don't have something to do in a traditional, we'll just call it traditional, right? The wife stays home, husband's working all day. 9.05, he goes away. Bye. Have a nice day. Be careful. She does everything around the house. She has her own life. She's having lunch with friends. She's doing the shopping, paying the bills going to the country club, having lunch with friends, whatever she is doing, and then you come home. And now, whatever, she helps prepare dinner, you help prepare dinner, you guys get to the kitchen together, you make things, fix things, prepare things. And a few hours later, you're asleep, and you start all over again. And then the weekends, her life is put on pause, you guys do things together, maybe you golf with your buddies for four hours, six hours, and then she starts her life again in, on Monday. Now, when that changes, oh, Arif, that's so sexist. Listen, fill in the blank however you want. You want you know, you know that the pattern of behavior, the routine is disrupted. When somebody goes, and I'm done working, and he sits home, and he's exhausted, and you know how long I, I've worked, 60 years of my, 40 years of my life. Okay, got it. And he sits down, and I just want to relax. Okay, well, and in her mind, retirement was something different than getting fat by sitting around watching TV and eating chips, right? That, that wasn't called retirement for her. It was, we finally get a chance to visit the grandkids. We get a chance to fly to Europe. We get a chance to go do this and, and do that. Spend more time at the, at the lake house, whatever it is. And you are not doing that. So they look in the mirror and they say, listen, I have a few years left, really good years, 10 maybe of my life and I'm not going to spend it this way. And it's the same thing, right? The husband comes home, thinks life is going to be a certain way and she doesn't want anything to do with him. Or he thinks this and she looks different and she's not, you know, taking care of herself or he's not taking care of himself and they look different. And they look at each other and say, look, this is, this is fun. We raised our kids, our grandkids, everybody loves us, but I'm not happy anymore. You follow me? So things like that I think is what's changing that retirement world. It's sometimes the affair with the secretary. Yeah, it is. Sometimes the, the, the Facebook friend, boy, I can't tell you how evil that has become, by the way, guys. I connected with my old high school friend. This just happened recently. I connected with my old high school friend. Uh, you know, we were girlfriend, boyfriend. She's married, kids. Her husband died. Uh, you know, I'm married. Uh, connected with her on Facebook. You know, bored one day. We started talking. And, and there's this fantasy in your mind. And this fantasy in your mind takes you to this long direction 
which almost has nothing to do with reality because you're not 16 years old again. But you live it for a little while and you decide to leave your wife or your husband. And now what ends up happening is, well, the other side of things, right? You leave and now you're alone because your wife leaves you, your husband leaves you, you leave them. And at the other side, what do you get? Well, very simple. You're lonely. So I want you to caution you guys on some of this. Go back to the beginning. Nothing says your relationship has to always be the same. It can be better. It's definitely going to be different because you each had your own routine. Well, that routine has changed. And retirement isn't a one-way street. There has to be conversation and, and even permission or certainly the other one has to acquiesce to the idea that you are going to be quitting your job. And it isn't because of the money, because, right, you work with Total Financial and TFS Financial. We put, we, we put your financial life together. Check that box. You're done, financially speaking. It's the other part of life that I've got to keep you from messing up. And you're going to do that by having a purpose, something to do, a routine. doesn't have to result, revolve around making money anymore. That's fine. We've took care of that, taken care of that. It's this other side of things. So here's the email. I'm not going to say her name because it's a unique name. Dear Arif, I was married for 43 years and recently divorced. I'm 68 years old. My ex-husband left me about a million dollars from his retirement accounts. My current house is paid off and I have a small rental property that I receive about $2,000 net a month. My savings account is over $100,000. Okay, that's a pretty good foundation, right? Okay. Now, my social security check is 1500 a month. His is 3100. You'll see why that matters in a second. And he pays me alimony of $2000 a month for the rest of my life. I'm worried about not having enough money for the rest of my life. Total income is 5500 a month. I would really like to have around 7500 a month in order to feel comfortable. Okay, now I'm sharing this with you because look, there's a lot of behind the scenes story. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping it brief. So I'm going to fill in some of it that you might have as a question. Now, let's be clear on this. She said something that I want you to know about. She says that she's going to receive $2,000 for the rest of her life. That's not accurate. The alimony is usually the rest of the payer's life. Meaning if he gets hit by a bus, uh, there's no more 2000 a month. So what I want you to focus on is how do you get life insurance? Yes, it's going to be expensive. He's older probably, right? But I want some life insurance. So if he dies, the alimony continues. Usually in a divorce, folks, I want you to, to look at this as part of the, the purpose when you divorce is that somebody, usually the higher income person, has to pay some sort of a, of a premium for life insurance. But here's how I want it to work. I want her to own the life insurance policy. He's the insured. She's the owner. Now, she's also the beneficiary, but you see the owner can change the beneficiary. So I don't want him to be the insured and the owner. Follow me? Because in a normal life insurance, you're the insured and you're the owner and you can change the beneficiary. Then you can change the beneficiary to somebody else and then change it to somebody else. So what I would like you to do is to be the owner. He's the insured. He has to go through the medical exam. He's now approved. You are the owner but you're also the beneficiary. 
Now, it may not be a lot. depends on what he can afford and maybe what he qualifies for, if he qualifies at all. But if ladies, if you're getting a divorce, I want a life insurance policy to be mandatory as part of the settlement. It has to be. That's the only way we can make sure that the alimony continues if he passes early. Now, here's the other part. She receives 1500 a month. If he dies, she's going to receive his Social Security of 3100 a month. So she is going to get about a $1,500 pay raise. That will help offset some of the loss of alimony. So I really only need maybe five or $600 a month in, in coverage for life insurance. I don't need that much. But I do need something to fill the gap. Because if he passes away and she receives the $3,100 a month, she's going to get a pay raise of about $1,500, $1,600. She's going to lose the $2,000. She'll get $1,600. So I need her to have a little extra bucket there of dollars. So here's what I like. I think he should pay for the life insurance if he can. But if not, you might want to figure out a way to do that because it could be worth it. All right. When it comes to your million dollars, I'd like you to do a couple of things with it. I'd like you to separate it into maybe two, maybe three accounts. It'll depend on what you call as the purpose or the needs for the money. And we would sit down and go over it, right? I mean, there's certainly a lot of conversation here. One of them that would be, let's say, $250,000. Now, follow me, ladies and gentlemen, for this purpose. If she has a million dollars in retirement accounts, I'm going to take 250000 of it, and I'm going to send that purpose for that money to be way into the future. Let's say age 80, 12 years from now. The job of that money at age 80 is to give her around twenty two, twenty five hundred dollars a month in income. That's great because that helps fill the gap of alimony. If he doesn't qualify for life insurance or if she still wants to have a higher amount of money anyway, I can take $250,000 uh, $250, today, put that into an account, let it grow for the next 12 years, and at age 80, turn it on for income that would give her right around 2500 a month. So we're not going to touch it for 12 years. Can you touch it? Sure, you could take out 10% if you need to. But we have the other monies. That's for the emergency. But if all heck breaks loose and it's homeless or touch this money, we're going to touch this money. But if everything goes according to plan or even eh, slightly tweaked, we still have a plan B and C. We're okay. So here's what I would do for the other part. I would take about 325,000, right? The difference is about 750. Of that 750,000 that's left in her account, I would take 325,000 and I would put that in what's called a fixed account, fixed annuity. Now, a fixed annuity acts like a CD in the sense that it's the same interest rate come heck or high water. 1 year, 2 year, 3 year, 4 year, 5 year, whatever. 5 years, 4 years, and it pays the same interest rate. Market is up, market is down. Inflation is up, inflation is down. Doesn't matter. Pays the same rate. Now, here's where that is kind of interesting. Because in a year or so, or even less, but let's just say five, six, eight months from now, that 325000 that would give her right around 1000 a month without touching the principal. It's just the interest. She could start it in a month if she wanted, but it just kicks out about a thousand a month, a thousand a month, a thousand a month. So if he's paying alimony, 
if she's receiving her Social Security, if she continues to receive her rent, and we're short just a little bit of money, I could use that 325000 and that would give her right around 1000 a month in interest without touching the principal. Now, that's kind of cool. Now, here's what I would do also with the rest of the money. I would take the rest of that account. I'd put it into an account with a bonus. Now, a bonus is an inducement. I don't want you to get tricked by it, but I also don't want you to be lied to about it. A bonus that companies, that insurance companies will give you, they're going to say, hey, come and give us money. No, hey, come and give us money. Hey, we have a bigger bonus. We have a bonus. You have to back up to ask yourself, what's the purpose of this money? At 68 years old, as a divorced lady, is the goal to double it by the weekend or to have it grow in, in five times by the time she's 80? Or is the purpose to give her a safety, peace of mind, and a guaranteed income stream for the rest of her life and have it go up a little bit? You know, every year, every couple of years, she gets a little bit of an increase. I like that idea. So what would I do with that additional dollars? I would put it into an account that has a bonus. She can start income maybe in a month or two. Are you ready for this? That gives her over $2,000 a month just from that account. The other one is $1,000 a month in interest. So remember, she only needed, I only had to make up two grand. I had to find $2,000 from somewhere without ruining her financial life, without taking her down to zero and then saying, oh, you're 86 years old and you ran out of money. No way. We have to make sure she's protected forever. So I would separate it into the two or three accounts. I like the third one because it can give her an income stream of $2,000 a month. That one we might dip into the principal. We just might. But we never lose the money, the, print, the, the payment. That income lasts forever. So part of what we're doing is creating peace of mind. But why I said this would shock you is 43 years of marriage. Most of you think, well, I got it. I got through that seven-year itch, right? I got through that midlife crisis. I made it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if these families would have divorced anyway, except now it's socially acceptable. So people are finally saying, oh, well, there's no stigma attached to it anymore. So I'm just going to do it. And maybe before, uh, people would live separate lives, but they would stay married on paper. And kind of everybody winked, and everybody nodded, and everybody knew. But don't worry. It's not a big deal. Maybe that's the way it was before. But today, you know he's taking half the money. Uh, some of the fights, oh my word. I had one this week. That's why I share with you guys that I take emails that are relevant. So this email was sent just a few weeks ago. I answered it to her personally, but I wanted to bring it on the air to you today because we're starting to see just in the last few weeks, I think I had four come through in the last three weeks that we're married 30 plus years. And I think it's important to address it because if I see it as a pattern of behavior, I think maybe you know it. You guys have friends and family. Listen, I want to encourage you. It's not easy being married. I just hit 31 years. Right. So, so it's not easy. It's a lot easier for my wife, I'm sure, because I'm an easy guy. No, <laughs> she can throw something at me. It's not easy being married for anybody because it's two lives that, that are different people. Even if you, we were married in our early twenties, 
you still are different people. Financially, as I was doing things financially and she was kind of learning along the way and she was growing, uh, she wasn't staying up to up to, to speed with what we were doing. She had the kids. She was busy. My gosh, she was homeschooling three children and running our household. But I had to say, listen, is there any way that I can teach you some of what we're doing financially as a family so that what if something happens to me? I don't want you to, to be at the will of the banks and the, the institutions out there. I want you to have some independent knowledge. So ladies, I want to encourage you. It is not too late to get involved a little bit, to ask yourself, okay, what am I missing in our financial life? He says he takes care of everything. He takes care of everything, takes care of everything. Well, no, no, no. I want you to get in there and start understanding some of the financial stuff. Where are the accounts? How much money do we have in the bank? What is our income? You see, I want you to have part of this as just, you don't have to make the big decisions right now. That's not part of it. You can, but you don't have to. What I'd prefer you do is to be involved enough to know. Because most likely, most likely, you're going to have people, right? You're going to pass, someone's going to pass away and you're going to be stuck with it. But if you're one of the folks that have a position of, uh-oh, suddenly 40 years of marriage and we're divorcing, I don't want you to be caught, you know, as they say, flat-footed in boxing term. I want you to be involved. Okay. So how are you going to do that? Number one, I'd like you to grab a budget. Yeah. You might've always been used to saying, well, I swiped the credit card. I wrote a check. It cleared. Must be money in the account. No, I want you to have a budget. The budget is going to say how much your family spends each month. Where does the money go? How much money comes in? Right? It's called a profit and loss statement. You don't have to be a big corporation to have a profit and loss. I think every family should have a P&L, profit and loss, P&L. How much money comes in? How much money goes out? That's the very first thing. You don't have to get super detailed, but the more detailed you are, usually the better. You know, you can say entertainment. That's fine. But if it seems like a high number, if something's missing... You take entertainment and you break it down into that. We go to the movies. We, we go to the, the theater. We, we go to the concerts. Break it down, fine. You can at least break it down into more detail. But I want the big categories because it's easier, simpler for you to break it into a profit and loss. And if one of you is not used to seeing those numbers, have a conversation with the other. Now, listen, I'm going to warn you ahead of time. That person's going to think, uh-oh, are you going to leave me? Are you trying? Are you trying to divorce me? Because why do, why do you want all this information? So you need to be soft about it. You need to be clear about it. Okay, you need to sit down. You need to make sure how much is there. I'm doing this for us. Honey, what if something happens to you? What if you pass away? Well, you know, Joe from my office is the best. Oh, our kids know about it. Well, that's nice. But I just I just would feel more comfortable if I know about it too. All right, so don't feel like you can't ask that question because you never have asked that question. You're different people. You're growing. It's different. All right. That's important. Next, I want you to have something called a balance sheet. What is a balance sheet? doesn't matter your age. I still think you need one. And here's what it is. What are our assets? What are our liabilities? Assets, things that make you money. 
You can even put a car down. A car has an asset. Now it might have a value of $15,000 and maybe you owe $2,000. Okay, so it's gonna be plus 15 on the left side, minus 2,000 or 3,000, whatever you owe on the right, and whatever's left is in your pocket, right? Because then the balance sheet determines your net worth. You can put your principal residence on there because if something happens to you, it's part of your worth, part of your value rather. But it's also going to have, and this is the key, your retirement accounts, your savings accounts, cash that's sitting in the back off, you know, a drawer or something, any gold or silver you might have, any cryptocurrency you might have. You want on your balance sheet a list of your assets, the things that are valuable. So God forbid he gets injured. Or, or listen, we've had it where ladies, right? A lot of our Filipino ladies run the households. A lot of our Russian lady clients run the households. So the man, I'm telling you as the man, you have to know this. So it's not going to be one or the other. It just happens to be that sometimes one of you knows and the other doesn't. So keep this in mind, balance sheet and profit and loss. Profit and loss, your monthly expenses, balance sheet, the total assets. And if God forbid it's one of those graying of divorce things, at least you have something that's reasonable, that's current. Okay. All right. I have another email for you when I come back. This is pretty interesting because we're talking about somebody who inherited money. So this is an inheritance situation. And we're seeing this more and more as baby boomers are passing away and leaving their wealth to others. So that wealth, what do you do with it to avoid paying taxes and getting hit pretty hard? Stay tuned. I'm Eric Hallaby, the Total Financial Hour, 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-997-3847. Stay tuned to the live TFS Financial Insurance Services with AM870, The Answer. Be right back. Financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Learn about financial power, the Total Financial Hour. Financial security will help you live the life you dream. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now higher income strategy. Learn from Arab Halabi. Learn about financial power, the total financial hour. Now hey, thanks for staying with me as we continue with this hour of the program. Your emails, your problems, your concerns, your questions. That's what I'm here for. I love it. Love the opportunity. The second hour of the program uh, is a blessing. It's something that was uh, offered to us, of course, through Salem. And it's because of you guys. It's because of your response, because of your input, uh, because of your listenership. So I appreciate it very much. It gives us the form. It gives me the opportunity to share things with you where the mainstream media is not quite uh, able to have that conversation, right? They, they appreciate the distraction that the Biden administration does almost like a schoolyard, right? There's all this evidence of Chinese collusion with the Biden family, crime family, as we say. The Biden crime family now has all of this spotlight on it. And so they go, oh yeah, well, Trump and Russia. And then they stomp their foot and they have bigger, meaner guys on the schoolyard. So they come over to Mar-a-Lago and and so every time you try to say, yeah, but the Biden laptop, and they scream and yell, Trump and Russia. <laughs> you think about this for a second, and you think, it doesn't ever change. The schoolyard is just like college dorms. 
It's just like a young adult living in, in an apartment building. It's just like your friends when you're young married. It's the same when you're a, an executive at a business. It's jealousy. It's loud distractions. It's everything they can do to try to keep you from paying attention to what the reality is, really, which is you know, the crimes that are committed by the Biden family. If, if you don't think there's going to be some raids on the Biden family when the next Republican takes office, if you don't think that Hunter Biden is going to have raids uh, against him, they open the door. They open the door to say Hillary Clinton, she's next. I mean, you have you have to think how short-sighted. It's just like Harry Reid, how short-sighted he was to take away the filibuster for federal judges. Well, surprise, we took away the filibuster for Supreme Court justices. Right? When you do that, the, the Democrat Party has always been short-sighted except probably when they decided to start giving the black community free stuff, taking away the men out of the household and creating this poor mindset where single families with multiple kids from multiple men now rely on the welfare state. That was pretty smart. They did that to create this never ending group of people that vote for them. But I think it's finally changing. I think black men and white and black women and, and this society that they're creating uh, on the left has been proven to create the degradation of anything that's valuable in the black community. Uh, it's not me saying it. I, listen, I was a Los Angeles policeman for over 10 years. You saw it. You saw it on the streets. Why don't there, why isn't there any hope here? Why isn't anybody going to school? Why aren't they encouraging their kids to stay away from gangs? And it was all over the minority communities. It didn't matter. It didn't, wasn't just the black community. It was Hispanic, you know, Mexican, El Salvadorian. It didn't matter. Right? When you work in LA, that's the problem. If you worked in whatever, Miami, it'd probably be Cuban uh, minorities that were being oppressed by the Democrat Party. If it was New York, it's the Puerto Ricans, whatever it is, you get a chance to see in those different communities across the country how poverty is how the Democrat Party thrives. And they, they transfer that all the way through to the laws they create, right? Meaning the wealth that you have, it's not your money. Listen, when you die, we're going to tax you for taxing you because we taxed you. They create this never-ending stream of taxation simply because they don't believe it's your money because you have to support what? The welfare state. You have to support the system that never goes away. Because otherwise, guess what? They lose their power. It's not a secret. I mean, all of us know it. So they create laws that if you inherit money, certain ways anyway, from your family, well, you don't get to keep it. Here's a good example. How do wealthy people leave money to their children and their grandchildren? How do the affluent, you can pick the number, million, two million, ten million, I don't know. You, you decide where it is. I guess it depends on what part of the community where you live. If you're in Kentucky or Ohio, maybe it's a lower number than if you're in San Francisco or New York, whatever the number is, here's what they do. They leave real estate, they leave life insurance, they leave Roth IRAs, and they leave stock accounts that are not part of your retirement account. Let me say that again. How do the wealthy pass on tax-free money to their children? They use life insurance. They use Roth IRAs and 401ks. They use the securities market, right? Stock, bond, mutual funds, but are not part of your retirement account. 
right? These are important features because if the rich people make the rules, they make the rules to benefit themselves, their friends, and their family. I want you to know that's not a surprise. You've heard me say before, Cleopatra, when she wrote the rules, she did it to benefit herself, her friends, and her family. <gasps> that's a female. We need more female in power. They wouldn't do that. Uh, she did. Yep, she did. Joan of Arc, yep, she did. You can go on and on. It doesn't matter. Fidel Castro, communist. That's what we need. We need more socialists. Oh, guess what he did? He passed the rules to benefit himself, his friends, and his family. You know the big, beautiful homes on the Caribbean that were owned by the three and four and ten generation plantation owners where they had farms and businesses and cooperatives. Did Fidel Castro burn all those houses down? Or did he give them to his friends and his family? Yes, he did. Surprise. There's no difference. Napoleon, Genghis Khan, we can go on and on. Rich people write the rules to benefit themselves, their friends, and their family. Here's the difference, though. The United States, of course, rich people wrote the rules called the Constitution, Bill of Rights, all the laws, judges. Except there's one little clause where you can drive from here to the store, and I encourage you to, to do that sometime. The next time you do, I want you to look around and see how many different backgrounds, right? Use the Democrat vision, right? Where they judge, yeah, judge people by their appearance, right? What do you have? How many different backgrounds? They came here on purpose. First, second, third generation. Go to a room, go to a dinner. And in a room, there's going to be five, 10, 15 different backgrounds of people. Why? Because in the United States, they know the rich people make the rules like they did in their country. They know they made it to benefit themselves, their friends, and their family. So why did they leave their country and come to the United States? Because we are one of the only countries in the history of the world to where the rules apply to everyone. Now, figure it out, you win. Don't figure it out, you lose. That's why people would sell their left arm to put their child in college so that they could go figure out the rules. Go find the rules, Junior. Come back. Bring them back. Go get the rules, come back. Get educated, come back. The problem was 25 years ago when the rules are available for free. You don't have to spend this student loan scam. Send your child off to college to these fraternity, sorority cabals. Wonderful people, I'm sure. Horrible experiences, especially for the young women. And you know what I'm talking about. They don't treat them properly. So what happens? What are the rules? Why do the rich people write the rules to benefit themselves, their friends, and their family? They just don't tell you about them, but surprise, it benefits you if you figure it out. So why do, they, why do you think they want you to put your retirement account in the market where you can't deduct the losses on your taxes, but you can if, if you own that same stock bond mutual fund outside, you might be able to, yep. The fees that you pay to manage it, you can't write those off on your taxes. Most people can. I mean, there's a way to do it, but they don't. You have to pay for the fees outside of your retirement account. Nobody would do that. Hi, you have a 500000 in your retirement account. I'm Mr. Uh, broker. Send me a check for twelve grand. you are not going to do that. You're not going to send them a check for eight, ten, twelve thousand. 12000 No. So they take it from your account. Surprise, you can't write it off on your taxes. And when you save money, when you've been saving money for 10, 20 years, oh, the market always, always goes up over time. So it goes up, 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 up. You put it in your retirement. Good job. And you're at risk in the market 
You took all that risk. You couldn't write off the losses on your taxes when you had them. You couldn't write off the fees. But don't worry, you had the account for 20 years and look at how rich you are. You pay taxes at the highest bracket in America called ordinary income tax. You do not pay it at capital gains tax. Back up, I'm not a CPA. I have to tell you to make sure you check with your tax preparer, financial professionals, CPA, blah, blah, blah. But maybe, just maybe, you could spend 18 seconds on your favorite search engine and find out what I'm telling you is accurate. Because maybe, just maybe, the rich people wrote the rules so that you put your money in the end market, which makes my other accounts go up. Yeah. You see, you know what happens when you're buying more shares? Hey, in your retirement account, when you're buying more shares, my accounts go up because you're buying the shares that, uh, yeah, it's supply and demand. It goes up. Surprise. So what's the rule that I, I have as a concern for you? Well, it's the inherited rules, right? I mean, you realize when you inherit money, if you inherit IRAs and 401ks, because most people didn't know what I just shared with you, right? I could own this building. This building is $10 million. I bought it for a million. I die 25 years later. I give it to my kids. How much tax do they pay on 10 million? Uh, zero. Nothing. I give them a $10 million IRA. How much money do they pay in taxes? About 5 million. That's the difference. All right. This is pretty important. This is from Doug, and I think you guys need to know how it worked. All right. I've inherited about 220,000. Dear Arif, by the way. Dear Arif. I've inherited 220,000 from my sister's IRA. She didn't have any kids and has been divorced for years. She was 66 years old and died from breast cancer earlier this year. She had a small life insurance policy from her work and I used it to pay for her funeral expenses. I'm 63 years old and married with two kids. Both my kids are out of school, so I don't have any costs for their education anymore. Stand by. Okay. They each have their own families. This is why I wanted to share this with you. They each have their own families, and they are married. Two kids, married. Stand by. Keep that in your mind. Can you tell me what I have to do to this account when it comes to paying taxes? Do I pay for them now, or does my sister's estate pay the taxes? What if I want to donate some of the money to the cancer facility that helped care for her? Do I still have to pay taxes on that money? I may want to give some of this to my children so they can save for their future. Is any of that possible? All right, let's take the facts. He inherited 220000 from his sister's IRA. Very important. It's an IRA, meaning no taxes were paid on that two twenty. She She didn't have any children, and she's been divorced. So he is the sole beneficiary. Shouldn't be any contention. She had passed when she was 66, meaning she's not 72 yet. Because at 72, different rules apply. If the person passes away with a retirement account after age 72, there are different sets of rules they have to abide by. Can I, I use the life insurance to pay for a funeral? That's honorable. Great. He is 63 years old and married with two kids. Now, both of the kids are out of school. They're on their own. They have their own families. They're married. Okay. So here's what you need to know. 
the required minimum distribution on these accounts, there is a required minimum distribution on these accounts because the sister is less than 72 years old and hasn't started withdrawing money from the account, then he can take the money out based on his age, right? He's a little younger than her and he can take money out of the account, but there's a schedule, there's a formula. It's called a required minimum distribution. It'll be transferred into his name as what's called an inherited IRA. Now, the truth is the, the whole name of it, ready for this? It's a mouthful. Non-spouse inherited IRA. So that's the official name of the account, also known as an inherited IRA. But the non-spouse provision is this. If a husband-wife inherits it, or husband-husband or wife-wife, if they inherit it, then they're allowed to just put it under their own name and continue as if it was their money from the beginning. Okay? That's the benefits of being a spouse. If it is a non-spouse beneficiary, brother, sister, child, mother, cousin, non-spouse beneficiary, then you have to follow these sets of rules that I'm going to lay out for you. If you're under age 72, if, if, the, if the person who passes away is under the age of 72 and has not started withdrawing from their retirement account yet, then they can transfer it into their own name as a non-spouse beneficiary inherited IRA. They cannot transfer it into their own name. That's very important. You can't take an IRA and just put it under your own name if it's inherited from a non-spouse. Okay, here's the key. Because of the SECURE Act, the SECURE Act, now they're trying to work on the SECURE Act 2.0. I think you're going to see that happen just before the, the midterms so that they can say, see, look, at we are just winning people. We passed this climate bill. When the uproar starts to happen with that, they're going to pass the SECURE Act. It's already been passed. It's kind of sitting in the wings waiting for a final vote. The SECURE Act 2.0, they're hiding some of it so we don't know what the ultimate age will be, but they're going to move the age from 72 to either 73 or 74. We think that's going to happen. But with the one that passed under President Trump, a non-spouse beneficiary is required to distribute the full balance of their account within 10 years. So there is a formula this year, next year, next year. Now, each year you can pull out more. You just cannot take out less than their formula. So for example, 220000 let's say the formula is he has to pull out $10,000 this year. Now he has to pull out 10. He might say, well, I'm gonna, I want 15. No problem, take out 15. I want 27, take out 27. He's gonna have to pay taxes on that money. It falls under his tax bracket. That doesn't change. But he cannot say, oh, it says that I'm supposed to take out 10. Eh, I need four. That's all I'm going to take out this year. Nope. You have to take out 10. All right? Now, 10 years and 10 minutes, whatever's in that account needs to be zero. Nothing else can be left. It has to be gone. Okay, this is important because... That's Oh, let me back up. That's by December 31st of that year. I need to make sure you know that. So the year, the 10-year mark is a calendar year. So you can take it out towards the end of the year or the beginning of the year. It doesn't matter, but December 31st is when it has to be out. Okay? Here's the other thing. If uh, In order to give directly to your charity, this is important. You think about this. I would not give it directly from the IRA. 
under the current law, now I want you to speak with your CPA on this. My experience has been it's very difficult unless she has a trust and you can disinherit some of that money. So if you, because this happens on occasion, we had this with husband and wife, it was his second wife. In between the first and second wife, he had a work uh, IRA, a work 401k rather, and he put his sister as the beneficiary. Well, he was married for 15 years. Never knew that he didn't have his wife as the beneficiary. So he's married, putting money into the retirement account, putting money into the, he dies of cancer. As he passes away, the, the sister receives a letter in the mail that says, you're the beneficiary of his work retirement account. She said, well, but it, I'm not supposed to be his wife. And she said, well, they never, he never changed the beneficiary back. Well, the sister thought it was an oversight. And she said, I'll tell you what, I don't need this money. It was meant for his wife. I'm sure that's what he wanted. He just didn't know that he should have changed it. So I'm going to recuse this money. So she re recused it. She sent it back and says, I do not want this money. I'm going to disclaim it. And it goes back into the trust, or in this case, into the estate of the of her brother. And then this, the, the court, and this all happens almost instantaneously, because an attorney says, oh, your honor, it was recused. Here's the paperwork. The judge says, well, then is he married? Yes. Well, then it immediately goes to the wife. This is a community property state. So the wife, his wife now receives that money. That's what he wanted. I think that's an honorable sister. I think she did good with that. That's what you're supposed to do. Makes a lot of sense. Not everybody does that, but it was nice that she did that. What's what I think is the right thing. So here's the way that you give money to charity though. Now, if he had a trust or sorry, if your sister had a trust, and if the trust was the contingent beneficiary, for example, or was listed as, an, as a beneficiary of other properties or other assets, and he says, I give up this money, it would naturally go through the court, a judge, fairly quickly, an attorney makes the argument, and it goes into the estate. The estate now says, oh, well, we have a trust. Your Honor, we think we should have this poured over. It's called a pour over will. I mean, it's part of the trust. Goes into the trust. Up, oh, you see that? She wants 50% to go to this charity. Now that is probably not the case. It's not the case here. At least there's no indication that there was any other trust. So here's my recommendation. Again, you're going to seek the results of a consultation, uh, if you will, of a CPA. You're going to seek that consult. Okay. I want you to take the money under your name. You're going to pay taxes on it. It's going to affect the rest of your income. Yes, it does. And then I want you to donate it to charity and you get the tax right off back on that. Okay, so it comes in the front door, goes out the back door. There still might be some impact on your Medicare payments. There still might be some impact on some of your social security being taxes, et cetera. So there might be a financial hit that you're gonna take still by doing it this way. However, it's the way I would do it. And instead, it's gonna come from you, but you can do it in the name, you can do it in the honor, of your sister. And look, a lot of these cancer organizations and charities, depending on how much you donate, they'll name uh, a lobby after you, or, or you could have the x-ray room or the, uh, you know, infusion center, right? If you donate, whatever, a hundred thousand dollars, I want this infusion center named in honor of my sister. And there's a plaque and there's a sign, etc. So there are things, if you want that kind of notoriety, if you think that's a, a good thing, I like it because I think you can encourage others to donate.
Some people don't want the notoriety they're willing to give behind the scenes. Others are willing to give publicly. It doesn't matter to me how you give. God judges your soul. I judge your actions. You just gave $100,000 to a cancer center, to a child's orphanage. I'm good with you. You could name the lobby after me. You could name the, the, you know, the playground after. It doesn't matter. That charity receives the money. If you did it for the wrong reasons, God will know soon enough. Right? I don't, it's not my job is to judge your soul. My job is to judge your actions, is to judge your choices. By the way, people, don't let the others tell you differently. You're supposed to. How else do you know I'm friends with this person, I'm not friends with this person? I'm going to give to this charity, I'm going to go to this restaurant or that restaurant. You're judging. Of course you are. You're not going to say you're better than them. Unless sometimes you are better than them. Oh, that guy wears his pants around his ankles and has tattoos on his forehead. Uh, inside, I'm going to think I'm probably better than that person. Not in God's eyes. That's, that's soul. That's God's job, not mine. But something somewhere says I probably make better decisions most of the time than that person. You can live on a high horse. You can think you're better than others by, oh, I don't judge anybody. And I'm going to say that you're a dishonest person. If not to yourself, certainly to others. Okay, so what do you want to do? Doug, you want to donate this to the charity? I'm okay with that. But you need to go, in my opinion, through the CPA and say, what if I take this money in my, how much can I take today? How much can I take next year without over uh, impacting my Medicare payments, for example? Because that's probably your biggest risk. Now, let me back up. Oh, you're 63. Uh, you don't have Medicare right now. Good catch, some of you. So maybe we donate it before you turn 65. Right? then there is no impact on your Medicare payment. So do it in the 63 or 64th year before you file your taxes and before they, they give you a, a number. But in other words, check with your CPA. The other part of it is this. Remember how I mentioned that his children, he has two kids and they have families. If you want to donate this to your kids, you're still going to have to pay taxes on it because you're the beneficiary of it. But here's what you can do. You can give the maximum through a gifting program the federal government, from your social security number to their social security number. So I, I can give 15 to him, my son, I can give 15 to my daughter-in-law. I can give 15 to my daughter, 15 to my son-in-law. So if I want to give away as much as $60,000, you can do that through the gifting. That mechanism exists where they don't pay taxes on it. All right? Check with your CPA. I'm not a tax professional. I'm going to give you guidance, give you direction, give you those questions to ask. Thanks for listening. 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847. Thanks for being part of the Total Financial Hour, right here on AM870, The Answer. Strategy, I'll retire comfortably, thanks to Arab Halaby. Now every dollar's got a job to do, Arab makes your money work for you, learn about 